You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international. We cover down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is that day, folks. It's Fry-yay. So hit the booms and the... There it is. Fry-yay. <laughs> Boomer, how you doing, man? I'm good. Fry-yay, bud. Friday. <laughs> so still no word back on little oh. man's uh, tryouts yet, right? No, no word yet. We're hoping for Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to have to go rough somebody uh, up. I can just tell. The draft. Come on, guys. <laughs> Get it together. You know I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we got we got all kinds of stuff for you. By, oh, by the way, weird weather day. So yesterday was, what, 74 degrees? Today yeah. it's 44 degrees. What the heck? <laughs> what is going on? I don't even know what to put on in the morning. I could come in here wearing, you know, a shorts and a sweatshirt, and I would be fine either way. Um, all right. Hey, uh, the, the show for today, 3 o'clock today, State Senator Andrew Jones. Uh, he actually uh, took the seat that I used to be in, but State Senator Andrew Jones is going to be on to talk with us about his proposal to do away with occupational taxes around the state of Alabama. We'll talk about that in great detail. But, yeah, 3 o'clock, State Senator Andrew Jones on the show. And then at 3.30, immediately after that, Stephanie Smith, president of Alabama Policy Institute, will be on there to kind of follow up and close out that topic about dealing with occupational taxes and are we going to see any tax relief at all from the legislature this year? It's, it's a question. So we'll talk about it at 3 o'clock. Andrew Jones, 3.30, Stephanie Smith, and then we got a triple dipper full of stuff, so hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, the job tax. That's that occupational tax I was talking about a moment ago. I mean, just you're getting taxed basically for the privilege of being allowed to work. What the heck? Don't we already pay occupational taxes sort of in the form of income tax? Yes. Uh, don't we pay unemployment compensation as employers? Yes. And there's occupational taxes in some places around the state. We'll talk about it. Number one on the triple dipper job tax. Number two, military readiness. Oh, man, I tell you what, I got, I got some stories like the latest on Space Command and the latest on, uh, I don't know, is Tommy Tuberville sponsoring a bill right now? that would ban transgenders from being in the military. We'll talk about all of it. Military readiness, number two on the triple dipper. And the number three, I'm just calling it culture wars. It's more than just, it's more than just adventures in woke world. It's actual culture wars. I mean, and I want to make sure that we kind of put a bright line out there is what that means. What are culture wars and how are they impacting things? And are we seeing some changes in world leadership because of them? Yep. Yep. We are. So number three, Culture wars. Y'all stay tuned for that one. But let me jump over to my comments, though. Um, and, and I got to tell you, if you really want to freak someone out, just tell them you don't care what happens to you as long as victory's achieved. People don't know what to do with that. Folks who don't view the world from a world view never really know what to make of somebody who tries to see and do bigger things. And oftentimes that strength to pursue something bigger comes from having been in a fight, you know, 
and emerging from it intact. You learn from it. You grow from it. You realize you can hit and get hit and still keep moving. So overcoming adversity makes you appreciate what you have all the more, and it creates a different view, a view that things can get done, big things, things that some people would recoil from because they're still fearful of getting hit. But that's why it's so important, like for a football team, to practice in full pads and trade blows on the practice field so they don't avoid the hits they need to endure to win the game. That's why boxers have sparring partners, so they learn to trade blows for the big match. That's why General Norman Schwarzkopf said the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in war. And in politics, the ability to trade those blows and stick to your guns is what changes somebody from a politician to a statesman. A few years back, there was a freshman class of legislators here in the state of Alabama, men and women who came into the Alabama House and Senate having endured one of the most brutal campaign seasons in Alabama history. It was called the Republican Wave of 2010. The Tea Party was real active back then, and it was a grassroots effort like maybe never before in our entire state. It was just just people tired of, of corruption. The Democrats had controlled the state house for 136 straight years, and that campaign season, man, it was a slugfest. The teachers' union especially fought often and fought dirty. I was proud to be a part of that wave, and I know for a fact that those of us who overcame such nastiness in the elections were then better prepared for the fights that came afterward. I know one guy who won his election despite the fact that he had an opponent that did things like pay strippers to show up at his front door of his house and take pictures. I personally had supporters who had their businesses threatened if they put up my signs. I mean, it was story after story of a desire to pursue a different agenda, a broader agenda, a statesman's agenda, but it only came when we knuckled down and got into the fight and we lived to fight another day. Now, like I said, the teachers' union was absolutely the worst. They often coached their members out of a position of fear. They would lash out with the most ridiculous and unfounded attacks, and when they didn't get us to cow down, then they would resort to personal attacks. I recall so many times being verbally accosted for daring to suggest a different budget or daring to show a different way to handle education or considering how to save public retirement that was on the verge of collapse. But the mantra from the teachers' union was, do what we want or we'll make sure you never get reelected. Well, my response used to just tick them off to no end when I would reply often in writing that I didn't get elected to get reelected. I'm going to do what I believe is right. Now, I'd love to take credit for that statement, but I can't. I learned it from a real statesman, somebody who had been through the fire, someone who had even lost elections in the past and pushed for unpopular options at times because he knew there was a larger plan, a broader narrative, one that held to higher principles because that was what statesmen do. That man was Ronald Reagan, who I had read once had been advised that a position he was preparing to take on a major issue could be considered political suicide. His top advisors were telling him not to do it out of political expediency, but Reagan, with the scars of prior battles in the public arena, told him, I didn't get elected to get reelected. Let's do the right thing. That's a statesman. The politician makes promises but may not deliver on the once elected. But a statesman? A statesman is a person who stands by his ideals and does everything in his power to do what he believes is right for the people of his community, his state, his country. Statesmen stand on a platform of fundamental truths, principles and the scars of prior fights. Because when the fur starts flying and the attacks come from all angles, and they will, it's the embedded principles and the knowledge of a prior survival that a statesman will lean on to get him or her through the fight. And they can't be myopic either. They can't be fixated on just one thing. A statesman has to be somebody who has got a broad and a deep ability to address the issues. I mean, can they adjust from a fight on cultural issues and then pivot to a fight for fiscal issues? Are they effective in the arena of facing down attacks on constitutional liberties that we as a people enjoy 
and then able to move next to a debate about economic development or military spending or education reforms or abortion or prison construction. And when they find a constituency that opposes their position that they believe is founded on principle, can they see past that moment to decide what is for the greater good? See, lastly, I would say that a statesman is one who recognizes that his or her position has given him or her the opportunity for power. Power of position. Power over people. Power that can become a distraction. Power that can become tyranny. Statesmen do not give way to the idea of power. For a statesman, it is antithetical to pursue tyranny or to lord themselves over others. George Washington, fresh on the heels of his victories in Revolutionary War, was granted by the Continental Congress towards the end of the war what they termed as unlimited powers in 1777 to pursue the fight against the British. But responding back to the Congress, Washington said, I shall constantly bear in mind that as the sword was the last resort for the preservation of our liberties, so it must be the first thing laid aside when those liberties are then firmly established. You see, Washington famously resigned his commission as a general before taking the office of the presidency. He also declined to serve more than two terms. He was a statesman. He was somebody who had been honed by a fight. He was somebody who stood on principles. And in the fight for the greater good, he also recognized that he could not grasp at power. I'm concerned about some of those who serve in Montgomery right now. Do they have a statesmanlike view? Have they ever been through a real fight yet? Or in D.C., can they work for the greater good? See, the bottom line is we need statesmen, men and women who get it, men and women who will literally say, I have been through the fight and I am still standing and ready to keep moving. Men and women who will say, I have principles that are bigger than your bills that you want me to pass. Men and women who will say, I see a way forward and I will not let the idea of power take over my thoughts. We need statesmen right now for such a time as this, and we need them to fight. And that's a wrap. For the right side way. So yeah, um, I do believe that there's a class of folks who have come into the state house in Montgomery who didn't have to go through those kind of fights, who didn't know what it was like to serve in the minority, who didn't know what it was like to have to deal with a teachers' union that was apoplectic about everything you did and breathed. I believe that we got some folks down there who don't even know what it means to truly have a true political fight. But I'm hoping. Sometime soon, we're going to see some new stuff out of them that will clearly indicate they've got the brass for a fight. School choice, budget discipline, tax reform, something. Show us what you got. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative and just plain right making it cool to be a conservative hey uh listen the text lines are open you want to text in call in we'll take it 833-687-4448 that's 833-68-RIGHT that's the phone number uh yeah we'll take those we've already gotten several um uh and <laughs> 
And John from Huntsville's already texting. Oh, I see what he's saying now, Boomer. I saw that earlier when he, he said, when's it going to debut? When's what going to debut? He's asking about uh, the right side coffee. More to come on that. Plans are in the background right now, John. But thank you for asking. We are we are still talking about how yeah. best to do the branding and development of Right Sides Coffee. <laughs> so that's just that's gonna really, okay. Boomer, is the sun breaking out outside? Uh, now the sun's coming out. What the heck? Oh man, it's going to go up to seventy-two degrees. <laughs> this is before this the is, show's done. I know. I just got a text here too from uh, Bert from Owens Crossroads. I was talking earlier about the, the change from yesterday to the day, like a 30-degree difference. Mm -hmm. He said, how's this for a temperature change close to where he grew up? Montana, he said, holds the U.S. and perhaps the world record for fastest rise in temperature over a 24-hour period. He, he says, a downslope Chinook wind event pushed the temperature in the town of Loma, Montana, from minus 54. Ooh. Minus 54. Minus. That would be Fahrenheit, by the way. Minus 54 <laughs> Fahrenheit at 9 a.m. on January 14th, 1972 to 49 degrees by 8 a.m. on the next morning. What? <laughs> that's, that's freaking that's wow. ridiculous. That's a, that's a 100 plus degree swing. Oh, my god. It's a 105 degree swing. <laughs> First of all, I love Montana. I mean, have you ever been to Montana? Oh, I love it. I love Montana. Yes. Uh, but, Beautiful. But I don't think I would enjoy minus 54 no matter where I was. No. No. No, thank you. No. Just saying no. Um, <laughs> so, Rita from Scottsboro, Texas, says, is a happy Friday. Any news on saving the rocket? I got nothing on the rocket. We got to get back on that rocket question. We do. I think, I think I they're waiting for us to quit talking about it. That's what it is. Probably. <laughs> so we'll just keep talking Rita, about it. Rita, good question. We'll find, try to find out. Uh, Dustin from Hazel Green has texted in. Can you partner, guys partner with Black Rifle Coffee? Uh, you know, mm. I don't know, man. Maybe. Uh, who? Hey. I go. like Black Rifle. Wow. Don't know. Don't know. But I will say this. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee's, um, um, what do you call it? Like their packaging distribution warehouse mm -hmm. is within our listening area. Just so Ooh. you know. Um, so there's that. All right. Hey, we got a lot of stuff laid on for you, too. Uh, State Senator Andrew Jones calling in at 3 o'clock today. Uh, we're going to be talking with him about occupational taxes and, you know, just kind of weeding our way through that. So what is an occupational tax, really? And depending upon where you live, you, you may not even realize you're paying it. But it's, it's what it basically boils down to is a localized tax passed by municipal uh, governance that, that puts a percentage taxation on your paycheck just for the privilege of working there. <laughs> That's what it means. I mean, I, I kid you not. How many different ways can they get our paycheck? So, yeah, I mean, occupational tax. Uh, I mean, I, I know people who have moved their business just across the municipal line just to avoid getting taxed 1% to 2% of their paychecks. Why not? But then you've got, too, the whole conundrum with what do you do about people who are now working remotely? Oh. Maybe the business they work for is in the city of Birmingham or the city of Gadsden or some other place that has an occupational tax. But they don't work there. They work remotely. But they still have to pay an occupational tax. Well, that's all. And by the way, that is hurting, that's hurting economic development if you get down to it. Because if somebody's looking at where to place their business, let's say you got a major manufacturer that wants to put their business somewhere, and they recognize that if they go to one place, there's no occupational tax. If they go to the other, their employees are going to lose 2% of their paycheck. What? Do you think that factors in? Well, yeah. Yeah, it does. And what's happened is over time, some of these municipalities have become so dependent on the occupational tax 
which by the way, not all of them have it. And I'll also point out too, the city of Irondale, which I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but the city of Irondale, they've got an occupational tax. They actually last year voted to actually reduce it. I don't know that I've seen anybody else ever do that. But the city of Irondale voted locally to reduce it by a quarter point, down from 1% to 0.75. Well, good on you, Irondale. They, they looked around and recognized there's an opportunity to do something for their, their, their folks. And I don't know that it shows up in a big way in, in your paycheck. I mean, a quarter percent, but every little bit counts. Quarter percent, buy you a pizza. You know what I'm saying? Quarter percent, put some more gas in your tank. Quarter percent, who knows what you could do with it if you had the opportunity to keep it. And it, and it's, it is not uncommon. I, I, I kid you not for businesses to examine where to actually plant the flag because of occupational taxes. And it's, it's, to me, it's kind of a gross way of doing taxation. It's like saying, you know, we love you. We're glad you're here. Thank you for choosing our municipality. And now, if you don't mind, please hand over a portion of your paycheck. But I, but I, but I already pay the state and the federal. Yeah. How about that? We're gonna, we're gonna, we're not gonna ask you to to do a filing at the end of the year. No, 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 no. We're just gonna take it every time you get a paycheck, and we're gonna require your your payroll processor, your employer, to actually do the processing for us and just mail the money to us. Yeah, that's how it's gonna work. Really? Yeah. Well, there are mayors right now who are freaking out because Senator Andrew Jones has come back with a bill that certain members of the legislature don't want to even talk about. They don't, they don't, please don't make us have to do this. Oh man, my mayors are going to be all over me. Yeah. You know what? If your constituents really figured out, they might be all over you. And then how would you feel? Let's see one mayor or 10,000 constituents. Hmm. <laughs> how many times can the phone ring? I'm just saying folks, if you have an opportunity to do something right, consider it. Now I will say this, Andrew Jones's bill, which we'll talk about later. I was I was a little frustrated with his version he had last year because it took 20 years to fade it out. But I get why he's doing it because I'm reading up on the information he sent me and I'm realizing how much money these, these in like $950 million by the city of Birmingham just in taxing people a percentage of their paychecks for daring to have a business located there. Wow. All right, we'll cover all that and more. Y'all stay tuned. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We will be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back on over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, 
thrown in just for good measure. Boomer, do you know I had a listener the other day text me, uh, just just livid with the idea that I use the words cover down? Really? Yeah. Of course, he also corrected my grammar and did some oh. other things that, yes, came across as rather ostentatious. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to say cover down is my freaking microphone, I'm going to say cover down. <laughs> I think he also took issue with the fact that I that I I was repeating a word too often. Like I use the word literally too often, and I said, "Well, I am literally going to keep using literally whenever I literally feel like it," or something like that. I forget what <laughs> what you said back. <laughs> oh my! There's word. always those words we yeah, use. Yeah, you know that word that gets stuck in your head. It's an earworm. You can't get rid of it. <laughs> it's like that song. Okay, what song? No, I don't want to do that to you. No, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, then it'll just play over. I don't want to. Yeah, if I, I, in fact, if I do it, I'll get the song stuck in my head, so I can't do it. Too. Okay, I'm gonna do it anyway. So here's the deal. I remember, literally, literally, just literally, <laughs> literally. No, but, I, but seriously, I was. Uh, we were just about to go overseas, uh, and uh, one of the guys uh, who was in my unit. Anyway, he looks at me. He goes, "Hey, Phil." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "You know that that how that thing like the the last song you hear before you go to the field." is the one that gets stuck in your head the whole time you're out in the field. And I said, oh, man, yeah. He went, her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. He oh, went, no. And I was like, no. And then it was stuck. But the, but the worst part is when you only know part of the song. Oh, and you have to repeat it or over when you hate the song. and over and over again. Yes, or when you hate the song. Or, uh. or for that matter, when you hate the song, you only know part of it. So I, I, I can remember at Ranger School having a Beatles song stuck in my head. And we were in the field for like 12 days. And it just would not leave. And of course, you don't sleep, but like every other day or something. And and it, just, it, just, it wouldn't leave me. And I didn't know all the words. <laughs> Somebody tell me the words of this song. Just let me know the words. Yeah. How did I get off on that? Oh. I don't know. That's your I, fault. It was it was my fault. I, I feel certain that it was. <laughs> Pretty sure. Hey, before I jump into the topic of number one here on the job tax, I got to tell you. So yesterday, if you remember my monologue, I opened up by talking about the, the, the fact that uh, Don Lemon... Uh, from CNN, the problematic and socially awkward individual who uh, used to be on the evenings is now in the mornings. Um, he he came out and just made these like, okay, comments that we're surprised you think it's okay to make. Um, so Don Lemon, who is constantly berating conservatives and and you know and 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 has a uh, a, a you know a number of persuasions, if you will, that, uh, that most conservatives won't cotton to. Well, if one of us had said this about, you know, a liberal, how would it go over? Well, he came out and said that Nikki Haley, um, that he, she shouldn't be talking about the age of candidates like Biden and Trump because she's already passed her prime. Well, and her female co-host looked at him and said, what? Are you talking about like for giving birth? What you? He says, no, now you can Google it. I mean, if they're like 30, 40, they're, they're past their prime. And, and they're just standing, they're staring at him incredulously. One of, his, one of his co-hosts, by the way, is Caitlin Collins, who's from Alabama. And they're just staring at him like, they, like he has a third eye. They have no idea what he's talking about. And he couldn't stop. He kept going on about how she's past her prime. And, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's women are past their prime when they get, well, okay. I'm sure he didn't feel that way about Hillary Clinton. But, yeah. Anyway, apparently this morning, Don Lemon got a scolding. And he's not at work today after being on a call this morning where he apologized to other members of the staff uh, at CNN. So there's that. And I, and I, I feel somewhat, uh, somewhat proud of whoever at CNN decided to finally stand up to him and say, stop this. I mean, 
Next thing you know, they'll say something to the ladies at The View, but maybe not. Um, all right. The, do we have a caller? No? The, the phone rang? It was Brian. He was just saying, hey, hey. Brian, shop. <laughs> I should have just let him stay on. So, Brian, that was my fault. But he was talking about the songs that he heard. Like, if you got a song stuck in oh, when yeah. you were in an Abrams tank, like oh, the yeah. Lola song, it wouldn't be good <laughs> for 72 hours. <laughs> no, I mean, you get them stuck in your head. What do you do? They won't go away, especially if you're never allowed to sleep. I, you know, anyway, um, uh, Chuck from Oneida. This just texted me the rocket. He's passing the rocket right there. Um, I see that picture, man. Appreciate you. Hey, and uh, be careful on the road. Um, seriously, uh, Dustin from Hazel Green. Uh, I won't read that one, Dustin. <laughs> just, just saying. Um, Paul from Athens says there's uh, with regards to getting coffee done. Three flavors of coffee: regular, right blend. And Woke Blend, uh, which is the decaf. <laughs> I like it. All right. Hey, um, so job tax. Some of y'all may or may not even realize you're paying an additional tax at your local municipal level that you didn't know was there. I would encourage you, look at where you live. Here's an example. I can just give you, I mean, first of all, there's 25 municipalities around the state. So we have 67 counties no telling how many different municipalities throughout the entire state of uh, uh, Alabama. Of all of those, though, 25 of those municipalities have chosen to implement a basically a job tax, the one that taxes you for the privilege of being allowed to work in their community. It's not a, it's not a licensure tax, which is also a thing, it's, or a licensure fee. It's, a, it's not a, an income-based tax like you... You have to pay something uh, every April 15th where you get your CPA to figure out how to do the forms. It's not something you can get a charitable deduction from. It's not something that you can, you know, uh, apply to your, uh, your credits from the federal government because you paid local tax. Nope. They just slice it off your paycheck and you have to mail it in. Uh, your employer does it or your payroll company, whoever processes. But it usually on the, on, on the average runs between 1% and 2% depending upon where you live. So like in this listening area, um, Rainbow City, 2%, uh, Southside, 2%, Tuskegee, 2%, um, Hackleburg, 1%, Haleyville, 1%, Leeds, 1%, uh, Atala, 2%, Bessemer, 1%, Birmingham, 1%, Gadsden, 2%. Boomer, did you know, by the way, that the, the, the highest on average level of occupational taxes is in Etowah County where we are right now? Wow. Yeah. Apparently they all collaborated, decided to just make it 2% across the board. Man. Um, so here's the thing. Right now we're wondering, is the state legislature going to do anything for tax relief this year? Because we are one of the only states in the entire Southeast United States that did not see any measurable tax relief at all in the last year or two. So as the economy began to tank and people were struggling out of COVID and there were all kinds of things going on that, 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 that made people wonder about their finances and the cost of inflation was, was really hitting everybody's pocketbooks and gas was through the roof. There were a number of states that took action and said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to cut the state sales tax on gas or we're going to reduce the sales tax on groceries or we're going to whatever. Not Alabama. Story here in the Opelika Observer, actually. 
There are three possible tax cuts which have been discussed for the, for the upcoming legislative session, which starts next month. The first one, an income tax. All right. Are we going to see any, any measurable relief from our state income tax? Like I said, Alabama, one of the only southeastern states over the last couple of years not to offer any significant broad-based sales or income tax relief, despite the fact that we have record, record state budget surpluses. Now we're hearing, well, these, you know, we got to be careful because, you know, we may not have a, uh, a surplus, you know, in the next, you've had surpluses for the last mm, X number of years. I mean, we've got, Alabama's doing well right now financially. All that they've given relief to is government for the most part. All they've given relief to is making sure that they plussed up more government departments, increased the budgets and spending, and yet all the surrounding states are saying, hey, we're going to give you guys something back. Well, there's talk of doing a one-time rebate. That's basically mailing you a check one time. Okay, that's great, but I would much prefer them see some kind of permanent tax reform or tax cuts. Governor Ivey came out and said last October she was for the idea of a tax rebate. She was not for making permanent structural change because she's not a conservative, by the way, despite what she says. The other one, that's the income tax. The other one's being talked about is the grocery tax. Now, the, the frustrating thing for me was every time we had a grocery tax bill come up when I was in the legislature, they always tied it to raising taxes somewhere else. Well, we'll lower that grocery tax if we can raise taxes over here. No. That's not a good idea. Get rid of it. We're one of only, I think, 12, no, I think it's down to 10 or 11 states now that tax groceries at all, at all. I mean, are you hearing that? If you go to certain states, you don't pay taxes on your groceries at all. But in Alabama, you do. And then among those 10 or 11 that still tax groceries at all, Alabama is one of only three that taxes at the highest possible sales tax rate. So basically the poorest among us have to pay taxes on their groceries, milk and bread. Everybody has to have milk and bread. And so the poorest among us has to pay those grocery sales taxes. It all goes to the education budget for the most part in Alabama. That's where sales taxes go. We have a split budget, which is archaic. It's just, it's just bear with me here. We have two budgets. Everything education in the ETF, the Education Trust Fund, everything else it takes to run our state is in another budget called the General Fund. That's all your mental health, your, your state troopers, your roads and bridges, all of that's in the, in the General Fund. The Education Trust Fund is the only one that sees the true benefit of point-of-sale sales taxes uh, at brick-and-mortar stores in Alabama. And when you buy your groceries there, that means the money goes there, depending upon who you talk to, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 465 to $550 million a year in grocery taxes funding education. Education has the biggest budget it's ever had in the history of the entire state of Alabama. But they can't get rid of it, man. They can't get rid of that grocery tax. Oh, it's, oh, oh, what would we do? I don't, how about this? Phase it out. How about, how about, how about just own up to the idea that it's time to phase it out? That we are a state that is beyond the days of proration and bad budgeting that we had before 2010 when the Republicans took over. How about act like Republicans and actually cut something? Cut it by 25%. Cut it by X amount and phase it out over five years. Do something. But then the other one, the other one, 
is that occupational tax. So occupational taxes are actually literally an additional tax just in certain municipalities. They're withheld from your paycheck. You don't get a chance to deduct from them. You don't get a chance to get charitable contributions to offset them. You don't get a chance to make your filings and see whether you qualify or get exempted because of your income. No, if you have a job in certain cities, 1% to 2% of your paycheck just gets sliced off and sent to that city for the mere privilege of being allowed to work there. But what happens if you're a teleworker? What happens if you are, I don't know, somebody who drove in for a temporary job because you're just filling in uh, for somebody else? What happens if it's somebody who's been ordered there um, by, let's say, let's say you're a utility worker, and after a tornado, you go to that community to help them get their lines back up, and you're there for three weeks? Why should you have to pay occupational tax when you were ordered to come there? Why should you pay occupational tax if you don't really work there, you're teleworking? Why do we have occupational taxes at all? How did this get started? All right, we're going to take a break right now. We'll come right back. And then top of the hour, the sponsor of the bill, who actually sits in my old seat in the state Senate, State Senator Andrew Jones, will be on the phone with us talking about his efforts to try and bring together legislation that would phase out occupational taxes around the state of Alabama. And it's an uphill climb. Mayors are already calling him, saying, please don't. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Having more fun being a conservative than a liberal would ever have being a liberal. There's my line for the moment. Uh, I got to say, too, man, uh, other folks, it struck a chord about this, this, no pun intended, about the idea of you know, going to the field and the song gets stuck in your head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ken from Rimlap just texted in. Uh, Ken from Rimlap says, riding around an M1 Abrams. Songs, uh, he said, when near Iraq in 95, we did the Budweiser Frogs <laughs> for about an hour to pass the time on the radios. Oh, Our first man. sergeant finally had enough and got on the radio. Can you imagine? I mean, you're out oh. there and you got all the tanks going, Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, only a bunch of Joes can come up with that, man. Uh, oh. I'm just saying, that's just hilarious. Oh. Uh, what else have I got on here? Uh, John from Huntsville texted in and says, Phil, I heard that Biden was declared fit to be president, but the doctors didn't do a cognitive test. Why didn't Biden take a cognitive test? Um, I don't know. I could speculate, <laughs> but since I am not there to handle it, I don't know. Um, but I would suspect because they don't want to have to have a cognitive test on the record. That's what I would imagine. Um Oh, gosh, what else have I got in here? John from Pike Road. John from Pike Road. Hey, John, how you doing, man? I know you. He says, don't get me started on the occupational tax after what they did to us with the Goodyear buyout. Oh, yeah. Mm. So I did a simple search a year or so ago. Only 26 cities in the state have occupational taxes, uh, 27 now. Um, he says, uh, of those, five are in Etowah County, which speaks volumes. Yes, it does. So what he's talking about there is when uh, we lost the Goodyear plant, which was the one of the at one point the largest tire manufacturing plant in the world in Gadsden, Alabama. 
and it's 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 gone now. Uh, it 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 you know it scaled down, scaled down, came back up. Um, but anyway, the 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 end result is that uh, uh, the remaining employees, uh, the union made a negotiated buyout, and everybody got a buyout, which I believe, if not mistake, was based upon their income, uh, and they got a X number of, you know, like a year. I'm I'm, gonna, I'm I'm just paraphrasing or guessing here, but let's say they got a year's worth of uh, severance. Um, well, that's <laughs> then they then they got to watch a big chunk of that go away. So the city of Gadsden made out like a bandit when a whole bunch of people got their buyouts when they lost their jobs and had to give it away to the city because that's where Goodyear used to be. Um, so yeah, that would have been, that would have been next level frustration. Uh, Rita from Scottsboro. We love you, Rita. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. She's saying some nice things. I'll move on. Sid from Hartzell says of all these taxes, it's if we have all these taxes going to, ta well, I'm not sure what he's saying. Why are our teachers one of the lowest paid in the country? Well, they're, they're actually not, Sid. I mean, if you look at their overall package, uh, it is very comparable to other states. And you may wind up taking issue with that. But the reality is that while we pay people, we also re-implemented um, uh, the savings on their uh, retirement that was, uh, that was going under when we first took office in 2010. We also have amazing benefits package, which you have to count because everybody else counts that in their package when they get a job. And then you also have to take into uh, account that if they would get a certified um, – What's it called? Uh, National Board Certification. Uh, we voted to give them $5,000 more a year on that. Uh, and then they still get their, their merit-based uh, 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 steps uh, in their plan. So I don't think they're one of the lowest paid in the country. Uh, there might be other states that pay more, but the, the truth is we are still upfunding education every single year. Uh, and then John from Pike Road just says, yeah, the buyout was based on years of service. Okay, all right, so there you go. All right, listen, State Senator Andrew Jones is going to be calling in in a few minutes. I will tell you right now that um, and it's, it's, it's something to, to be expected. The new mayor of Gadsden is uh, Craig Ford, who used to be the Democrat minority leader in the State House of Representatives. Uh, he also spent a lot of time in the State House. He is not at all a fan of losing his tax revenue. Now, I guess, I, I guess on the one hand, I get it. It's money he's used to getting. But he says that right now, that's 30% of their annual budget, like roughly $15 million comes in occupational taxes. In his words, said it would cripple our city. We'd go into bankruptcy or we'd have to ma have massive layoffs of government services. I disagree. Uh, I'm not the mayor, so I'm, I'm disagreeing as an outsider. But I disagree in that we're not talking about taking away from you overnight. That's not happening. If, if a phase out of 20 years, which is what the original bill proposed, cannot be figured out over a 20-year time frame, you don't need to be mayor. But here's the thing. How often... Do we see people looking for the opportunity for economic development? you got to replace Goodyear with something. But if they measure us against another city that doesn't have an occupational tax and we pay more than anybody else in the state, 2%, at some point you might have to say, hmm, maybe we better have a think about this. All right, we're coming right back with State Senator Andrew Jones' occupational taxes. It's a job tax. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios, man, the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, for the last little bit now, we've been talking about what I just referred to as the job tax. The formal name is occupational tax. And and just a reminder, this is a tax basically on your, you know, right to work in a certain area. And it's not something you can get deductions for. It's not something you can claim offsets for. It's not something you have to file once a year. Nah, they just slice off a percentage of your paycheck and mail it to City Hall. And um, it's 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 funny because uh, in Etowah County, where I hail from, uh, we're, we're looking at the highest, on, on average, occupational tax uh, in the entire state. But you've got like 27 municipalities around the state doing 1% to 2% of people's paychecks. Well, times they have changed. And uh, there is a movement right now to, to maybe do something about this, led by State Senator Andrew Jones, who serves from Senate District Number 10, which happens to be the seat that I used to sit in. And he's on the line right now. So, Senator Andrew Jones, how you doing, man? I am doing great, Phil. It's an honor to be with you. Um, and it's a great district, as you well know. So I'm I proud do. of following your footsteps. Uh, well, I, 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 man, I, I appreciate it. And you've got, you've got some of the best people in, anybody could ever hope to serve. Um, but uh, so let me ask you, man. So you, you've got the bill. Last year, uh, the bill didn't get a lot of traction. But this year, there's been a lot more talk about whether we could see some form of tax relief out of legislative action. What are you thinking How's it going? Do you have any support uh, in Montgomery for the bill right now? Yes, we do. Uh, we have support that's been building. Uh, we had a lot of support. I think, frankly, we could have gotten it out of the Senate. Uh, last year, we had a few folks who were kind of in a tough spot. You know, it's election year, and you've got your public saying one thing and your mayors, uh, you know, kind of crying about uh, losing their revenue, on the other hand. And so put a lot of members in kind of a sticky situation. I think if we had pushed the issue, we probably could have got a vote. But we knew, you know, it was kind of running late in the House. So we decided to hold fire and bring it back this year. It's kind of been gathering steam and building momentum. We've had a number of talks with the League of Municipalities, who, you know, kind of the, the lead organization against this that represents all the municipalities in the state of Alabama. Um, they initially expressed, you know, no interest in working on any of these um, issues. And I, I think, you know, as we put the pressure on, uh, slowly they're beginning to consider coming to the table. And, and you know how it works in the legislative process. you got to put the pressure on and get the bill moving. Uh, and sometimes that's the only way to force people to sit down at the table and, and take a look at the issues. Well, and yeah, and I totally agree. Um so let me let me ask you. Uh, I saw one article that said that you have been meeting with mayors, especially mayors in your district. Uh, now there's one, uh, Craig Ford, who's the new mayor of Gadsden, who has already taken a public stance against your bill. Uh, that y- he's he's not actually responded yet to opportunities to meet with you. But let me ask you, how have your meetings gone so far? As you kind of lay it out with the with the mayors that you've had a chance to meet with. 
they've been productive. Um, I, I do kind of feel like there's a little bit of, um, you know, kind of telling both sides what they want to hear. Uh, and I, I don't think we'll really know where these folks are until push comes to shove. I've, I've heard uh, rumors that there was a meeting of the Mayor's Association today and they were all unanimously against it. Um, but I can tell you in private conversations that they, you know, wouldn't wouldn't say uh, to other people, uh, I think they would be, not all of them, but some of them would be comfortable uh, with a 1% cap, which, you know, I, that's not what I want. I'd like the whole enchilada, but politics are to compromise. And sometimes, you know, if, if we could just bring Etowah County to the 1% mark, you're bringing them in line with the rest of the state. Now, I still don't like it, but it's a lot better than where we are. I, I did see, and, you know, I've only found one article that confirmed this, but but the city of Irondale actually last fall voluntarily reduced their own occupational tax uh, by a quarter percent. They dropped it from uh, 1% to 0.75. Have you seen that or talked to them about that? No, I have not. That's that is news to me. Um, that's that's great. Um, as you probably know, it's really hard to find information on this. All the information that I found was actually compiled by the league. It's their own data. You know, that's usually yeah. what I've what I've seen. And so, uh, best estimate there's 26, but you know there may be more. And it's kind of hard to figure out. You know, on some of the issues like the police jurisdiction part of it. You know, if it's being implemented, where it's being implemented. Nobody wants to share their. Nobody wants to show their books to anybody, as you can imagine. Well, I, I, I know. Um, so let me let me ask you this. There's some other nuances, and I think that COVID really changed some things, uh, not the least of which is the fact that people began to do more remote work, and some have still stayed remote. And they may be actually working from home um, and not even working technically inside a municipality, but their business addresses in the municipality, and so they're paying taxes from working from home um, is that something that's being kind of worked into your bill and maybe how to address that new modern era problem? Yes, that, that was probably the first issue that came to me. You know, uh, when this um, last year kind of started to get some traction around the state, I had uh, some folks reach out to me. Actually, one of them lives in my district um, but works in Birmingham. Uh, but she works from home a number of, of days. Uh, and before the pandemic, uh, it was commonplace. You fill out a form and, you know, certify, you know, kind of sign something that you were working at home um, or working out of the district. Um, I mean, you think of all sorts of people like traveling salesmen and, and you know, folks who are their home office may be in, you know, a, a town with a tax, uh, taxing jurisdiction, but they work somewhere else. So there were all these rebates going on. And then guess what? Pandemic hits. Everybody who can work at home is sent home to work. Um, and I can only imagine it was a huge chunk of the budget for the city of Birmingham. And so just mysteriously, all these claims start, uh, they stop getting um, acknowledged and no rebates are issued. Wow. So uh, that's kind of part of it, too. You know, it's it's the, the tax is fundamentally unfair. I think you and I both agree on its face. But then to, you know, have the situation where somebody's not even working there and they're still bearing the brunt of it is a, a whole nother level of wrong. Well, and so last year, yeah, I agree. So so last year, the bill you had, I mean, I, I remember looking at it going, dang, man, 20 years to phase it out. But when I when I realized the level of revenue people are talking about doing like $950 million for the city of Birmingham. So you, you had a 20-year phase out, but that still didn't help the situation in terms of selling it. Uh, what, what, what are you looking at now? Are you still looking at a 20-year phase out in your uh, in your plan? 
that's it. So if we if we did you know a full complete phase out based on the highest tax rates, which as you mentioned, five out of the six of them are in Etowah County, it would take you know 20 years to get from two percent down to zero. The way the bill was written is it kind of starts where you are and goes down by a tenth of a percentage point. So, you know, most of the, the vast majority of cities in 10 years, it would be kind of gone. But you're still talking about, you know, three quarters of a million uh, for the city of Gadsden, even, even at uh, even at 20 years. We're kind of, you know, we've had some discussions on uh, whether the, you know, the most palatable, you know, solution might be the 1%. Um, certainly, as you your, your listeners may be well aware, the Birmingham delegation is, very strong. There are a lot of folks who have part of uh, Birmingham or Jefferson County. Um, if you start talking about uh, taking away their one percent tax rate, you get a lot of opposition to your bill really quickly. So um, we've kind of been debating about whether you go for the whole enchilada or whether you kind of split, you know, down the middle and you do a one percent hard cap, um, which takes care of the the five cities in Etowah County, Opelika, which is at one and a half, and Tuskegee, which is at two. And then you also bar them from uh, from implementing anymore or increasing anymore, which is kind of another loophole that's in there. The legislature dealt with this a few years ago yeah. um, and, and said, you know, you, you can't have them unless you go back to the legislature uh, through a local bill. However, it didn't have any language in there. It's kind of a gray area about whether they can raise the rates uh, or not, whether that's imposing a tax or not. I guess it's, somebody have to decide that in court, which is not what we want. So uh, figuring out how to address that, too, is part of it. Well, and I guess, you know, as we wind down our time here talking, um, you know, there's there's so many different nuances. I mean, you look at things like if a city annexes new property, then somebody who wasn't paying a tax is suddenly now, I guess, paying a tax. Or for that matter, you got the remote worker like we talked about. Then you've got the idea of, like, what happens if somebody is ordered, like, say they are, they're a utility worker and they are ordered into a certain area by their boss to help, you know, reestablish downed power lines after a tornado are they suddenly required to pay uh, for the temporary amount of time that they're there? And I think all those things have to be considered. And um, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that your bill is going to get some traction, even if all we do is get rid of all the nuances. That's a start. Yep. But, uh, but, but those things have got to be, especially in the era of remote work, that's maddening to think that you might actually literally be working in one county and getting taxed in a municipality you don't even need to touch on a daily basis. Yes, it, it, it definitely is maddening. And, uh, you know, you think about even the satellite office, you know, a company that's headquartered in Gadsden, but they have, you know, a regional office somewhere in Anniston. You know, those, those employees could theoretically uh, be on the hook for occupational tax. So that, that along with remote work, is central. But, but folks were actually taxed in Lee County after the tornadoes. The, the rural electrics were sent occupational tax bills that they had to fork out and pay wow. when they were coming in a time of need, you know, to help take care of a devastating situation. So it's, it's kind of, there's just a lot of strange and peculiar things going on and they, they need to be reined in. It's kind of been seen as free money. I think, um, you know, it comes out of the paycheck so people won't miss it. So we might as well just, you know, milk it for all it's worth. And I, I think we've, we've got to, we've got to stop all that and rein it in. Well, and, and, you know, you and I both know, too, this is also an economic development issue. I mean, if you're, if you're a community looking to bring somebody in to establish a, you know, uh, uh, a new employer base, you're going to replace Goodyear, for instance, in, in, in your district, my old district, or something else, 
they're going to look at what's what's going to happen to their employees. Oh, by the way, your community has a 2% tax on their payroll, and the other community we're looking at doesn't. That factors into economic development. I totally agree. You know, economic development is a game of inches sometimes. You know, and one little thing can make or break a deal. You know, there are rumors, you know, that the Honda plant in Lincoln might have been coming somewhere in Etowah County, you know, but I don't know what it was that sunk that deal. But, you know, you think about it, uh, your employees get 2% more take-home pay if you just go over the county line. So it's kind of a, a disincentive for, for smart businesses to locate in your area with the tax. And that's why this, this annexation piece is so big to me. I know you were a big proponent of the uh, – it's now the Northeast – Alabama regional megasite, the near megasite, yeah. but to time the Little Canoe Creek megasite, you know, we could get a 2,000 employer job uh, opportunity out there, business industry out there. And next thing you know, it's going to be somebody's going to be saying, uh, hey, there's two 2,000 folks worth of occupational tax. Let me go grab that and bring it into uh, my jurisdiction. So you got to think about things like that. And and you know, if we're trying to promote industry and business and and grow our economy, then I think you got to have safeguards in place to prevent those kind of things from happening. Well, uh, State Senator Andrew Jones, thanks for making some time today. We want to keep tabs on this. When uh, I was talking to the Alabama Policy Institute, in fact, uh, their new president Stephanie Smith's going to be on the air with us here in a few minutes about this very bill, and uh, and hopeful they can give you some air cover and maybe see this thing move forward. That'd be great. We would love to have uh, their help, and we just appreciate you uh, helping us get the word out, Phil, to your listeners. Uh, I know that a lot of folks out there are going to be uh, excited to to see some traction happen on this issue. A lot of folks are out there that are paying it uh, that know that it could be going to do better things uh, other than just coming out of their paycheck to, um, to prop up, you know, kind of a uh, this antiquated system of regressive taxation. Sure enough. All right, State Senator Andrew Jones, Senate District 10 up here in Northeast Alabama. We appreciate your time, man. You have a great day. Thank you, Phil. You too. All right, take care. All right, Boomer, I ran along, buddy. Take us to the break. I ran along just to make sure we had a chance to finish that one up. We'll come back, have a very short segment, and then, bottom of the hour, Stephanie Smith, a frequent flyer here on Right Side Radio. She's the new president of Alabama Policy Institute. We'll get her thoughts on all this. Bill Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. So we got a brand new texter. Hey, you got to tell us who you are and where you're from. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll holler at your name when we get it back. But uh, it says, uh, I enjoy your show. Just like to give my two cents. Get it, he says, <laughs> on the grocery tax. I feel like it should not be repealed. He says, because in some way, shape, or form, or, or fashion, a grocery tax ensures that that happens. I'm not sure what you mean, ensures that that happens. But so, so okay, there's somebody who wants to keep the grocery tax, Boomer. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm taken aback by that, <laughs> but anyway, I, you're, you're welcome to it, man. But, uh, I'd rather not pay tax on my milk and bread when I know that, uh, nobody else around us does. Um, John from Pike road, 
used to work up there in Gadsden uh, at the Goodyear plant that shut down. So he clarified. He said, no, no, Goodyear, our buyouts were based on the number of years that you worked. So you got the number of years, and then the city of Gadsden required, this is crazy to me, if you worked there for 25 years, they wanted 25 years base of proper, of, a, of a payroll tax, not payroll tax, but occupational tax. Yeah. So he says literally the city, and by the way, the city did not take into account whether you had always been at that Goodyear plant. So he used to work in Union City, Tennessee for 25 years. And when that plant shut down, he got transferred down here and spent 10 years in Gadsden. And yet the city of Gadsden required him to pay 25 years worth of a payout to the city of Gadsden for occupational tax. Even, even, oh, I'm sorry, 35 years, even though he only had 10 of them here in Gadsden. That's just, that's just robbery in my opinion at that point. Um, Wow. Jerry from Athens, uh, why do we have to pay so many taxes? They learned civics watching 1950s movies about the mob and decided this would work best. <laughs> um, and he's got several other things, too. He said basically he doesn't, he doesn't like, uh, he doesn't like the, uh, the idea of this. Randall from Newmarket says calls it the tax shakedown. Yeah. Uh, DT from Elkmont, uh, no taxation without representation. This seems to be cross, uh, cross living and working juris- oh, across living and working jurisdictions, so the state must get involved. Well, that's the point. That's that's why the state is involved. The state legislature is considering certain aspects of the bill um, that we've got we just, on the phone a minute ago with Senator Andrew Jones, um, basically looking at several things. It's not just the fact that you are taxed. It's also should you be taxed? I mean, if you're if you're not actually physically working in the municipal limits, should you have to pay it? That's a great question. Um, David from Huntsville. Um, and just uh, asking if we want to come up to uh, Huntsville for a public event tomorrow. I won't be able to be there, David, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, hopefully get up there with you sometime soon. Uh, John from Huntsville. <laughs> did, you, did you ever sing the tracks on the tank go round and round? <laughs> no, 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 we didn't sing that one. But it's probably somebody now is getting stuck in their head. All right, listen, we're going to come right back after this break. Stephanie Smith, the new president of the Alabama Policy Institute. She's been a frequent flyer on our show now for almost the entire time we've been doing this. But uh, she has always got great conservative commentary. Uh, the Policy Institute has been very proactive in leaning forward on, on, on trying to do away with, you know, the overzealousness of state government in taxation and, and, and pretty much putting it out there hard and fast that you guys can't be Republicans and be in a surplus environment like you are and not give something back to your constituents. It's time. It is just time. We'll talk with Stephanie Smith from API here in just one minute. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Thank you, guys, sir. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right, covering some major ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about we go way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Hey, on the phone with us right now, uh, Stephanie Smith, who uh, has her own business, a consulting firm, the Thatcher Coalition. She is now the president of the Alabama Policy Institute. Uh, with a long history of doing conservative policy work uh, in governmental affairs with both corporate and governmental entities. Uh, but uh, I am pleased to say she's been on this show for quite a while and is now in charge of API, and we look forward to good things there. But uh, Stephanie Smith, how you doing? I am doing well, Phil. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, uh, we just had State Senator Andrew Jones uh, on the uh, the show. He he was not successful in getting a bill passed last year, but, you know, some of the best bills take several years, it seems. But uh, he had a Absolutely. bill last year and apparently coming up again this year to deal with occupational taxes in the state of Alabama. You heard anything mm-hmm. about it or what are your thoughts? I have heard about it. I've heard I've heard there's some controversy about it up their way, <laughs> but I've also I've also, um, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the bill from last legislative session. Um, and, and, you know, there are a couple of things with the occupational tax, just, you know, up in the mountaintops, um, as far as just a philosophical idea about occupational tax, um, it's literally taxing people to work, um, just, you know, conceptually. And so there, uh, there's a difficult, there's something in me that's like, okay, wait, what? We're going to tax people extra for showing up to work in a specific place. I, I do see from a municipal government standpoint, you know, uh, lots of cities will revert to, well, you're using the roads or using the utilities and you're using these things, you know, in the workplace as, as an employee. Um, but just the overall concept of, of being in a hyperinflationary period with low unemployment, but also um, you know, a low workforce participation rate in the state of Alabama, um, I think a reduction in occupational taxes might actually, you know, boost workers and, and, and give, um, you know, people who are trying to do the right thing, some relief in the pocketbook. I I totally agree. And one of the things I said to him on the phone too, is I, I see it also being as a matter of economic development. If you're looking at anybody establishing uh, a new, you know, uh, job base, bringing their company to your area, they're going to look at quality of life. They're going to look at things like education and all the other. And one of the things they'll also look at is, oh, you, you're going to take 2% of my employees' payroll if I bring them here? And no, right. I want to go down the road and do it where they don't do that. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that there are, um, you know, a decent number of cities who, who, um, have this occupational tax to varying degrees. I think they go from you know a little under one percent to, to up to about three percent. But when you're thinking about where to locate your business, um, it would be silly not to think about things like that because oh, yeah. that's that's what affects your workforce. And especially when you have a you know a large business um, that that's compounded and so uh, or a high dollar business. And so yeah. It, it is definitely a workforce development question, um, but to me, also, it just goes back to kind of the you know, kind of a taxation without representation kind of kind of question, and then also just why are we de-incentivizing people to work? Yeah, 
Yeah, there's, there's that. We, we tend to do that apparently lately. Uh, we pay them to stay home. Uh, we tax them when they don't want to stay home. Uh, but um, so the other piece of this, though, too, that he, he pointed out in, in one of his uh, statements in an article that I hadn't even thought about was that the current you know, level of remote work that we're seeing, people teleworking in, they may be right. working from their you know, living room, but their address of the company they're they work for paying. is inside a municipality mm-hmm. and they're still paying. And that's just, I mean, they're not burning up the roads. They're not doing anything to, uh, to otherwise, you know, use your taxable uh, uh, base. No, they're that's just working from point. home. Yeah. That's a great point. And then, you know, hybrid hybrid employees and even transitional employees, uh, it seems like maybe, you know, the occupational taxing is kind of an antiquated way of looking at work with the way, you know, the workforce has, has moved and changed and especially accelerated, um, you know, through the COVID years. Well, he, and so I, some of that I'm not sure is going to shift completely back. He, he even said, too, that I think it was at last year when Lee County down to Auburn had the tornadoes that came through. Um, he said that uh, there were utility uh, uh, workers from some of the rural electric companies that were sent in to help reestablish the lines. And they were shocked mm-hmm. to get a like they were there for three weeks and they were shocked to get an occupational tax bill. Um, uh, oh, no, you're kidding. Yeah, me. for having been there, ordered to be there to help those people. <laughs> and then they got a tax bill for showing up to Thanks help the people. Thanks for your help. Here's your tax. Yeah, here's your sign. But, uh, um, wow. well, you, I mean, the Policy Institute, and I know uh, my time there, but also your time there, even consulting before you became the president. But um, mm-hmm. the Policy Institute's been hot on the idea of some form of tax relief in the upcoming session. Uh, and, and I know there's there's three. I mean, they're talking about rebates in, but that's kind of even been taking a bit of a backseat lately. But we got we got grocery tax, we got occupational tax, and then we got this basic income tax reform. What what are you seeing? What are y'all harping on? Do you have any platforms developing on this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. We have um, a conservative platform that was that was already put out that that I'm actually finishing tweaking this afternoon. Um, so you know, we have a lot of different options on the on the table because there are there's plenty of room for tax reform in the state of Alabama, especially with a two point seven billion dollar surplus um, in the back pocket of state government. So you know, there have been some minor tweaking of corporate income taxes. Um, that could be expanded. Obviously, you know, API has been a leader for years trying to get the grocery sales tax repealed. Um, that's one of those that just really almost seems like a no brainer. Um, for for these times, um, you know, when eggs are costing ten dollars uh, for a dozen, and so um, the interesting component of this is that because we're in this hyperinflationary period, things like the grocery sales tax are what are actually pushing those surpluses upward. Yeah. Um, because if you're paying full freight. Um, sales tax on groceries and your grocery bill just went up by, you know, 15, 20% sometimes, then the taxes are going up that much. And so it just makes sense to give relief where the relief is needed. And the relief is needed for the taxpayers who are paying increased grocery sales tax, increased gas tax, um, when, when those are the things that, you know, are needed um, you know, to get food on the table and to get people to their workplace so that they can pay their occupational tax. Well, and, and, I, and I think it's also <laughs> fair to point out that we're one of the only states in the entire southeastern United States that has not done some measurable form of relief to its citizens, for its citizens, uh, in the last couple of years. 
Absolutely. And some of um, some of our surrounding states use their ARPA funding for tax relief yep. or tax rebate already. Uh, we did zero of that. And then now um, the legislature is, uh, you know, just a, a week or so away from, from coming back into regular session. We'll have an additional set of ARPA funds to spend. And then, you know, this, these huge budgets, the, the largest um, budgets in state history by far, um, and there's not enough talk about um, permanent tax cuts, in my opinion. No, not, there's not enough talk at all. There's like hardly any talk at all. Um, I, the, right. the, I guess I, I, looking at the big picture, um, I, I have to say that we've never had an opportunity like we have right now to do something tax relief wise. And there's all this talk about, well, we got to tuck it away because we may have a rainy day. We've got a rainy day account that people don't even realize is there that has billions in right. it right now. Um, and, right. and then, you know, on top of it, you have to look at it and go, is it really government's money or do you guys just have our money and you're the stewards of it? And that's, that's what it boils right. It's a philosophical question. You, you have to look at what is your intent here? What is your, what are your thought processes? Is that your money government or do you just a steward of our money? And maybe it's time to send some back home. Right. I, I agree with you. I think it's a foundational question and, and it is the most frustrating when you hear, uh, elected leaders saying things like, "Well, we have to prepare," or "We we're we're we in state government are having to deal with these in, inflationary times." And I'm thinking, <laughs> "Yes, we see that. We see that ourselves in our in our own households." But it's not that we need to protect state government first and then the taxpayers second. It's it's the converse. We need to make sure that the taxpayers are able um, to flourish. And then the state government be paid, uh, and not vice versa. Have they have they seen the cost of eggs lately? It's a, it's like a seventy percent increase. Have chickens. Oh, do you yeah, really? I'm, <laughs> of course we do. Oh my god! Well, <laughs> well you, you got like nineteen kids, so you gotta have chickens to. Wow. We've got seven kids and seven chickens. <laughs> do they each have their own chicken? <laughs> they do. Oh, do they really? Do they, <laughs> they? Well, they do, except my oldest daughter doesn't really like birds or chickens, so she kind of gave hers to me. But yes, we have <laughs> we have one for each child. <laughs> but to, to the kids, name them and then like go out there and, and get sad when they don't have eggs for breakfast because their their chicken didn't lay something that morning. They did. They did name them. I will say I made a rookie chicken mistake, and they all look alike, so they're very difficult. <laughs> very difficult to tell apart. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's debatable whether or not they have picked the correct chicken on on a daily basis. It, 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 let's go ahead and admit it. You've got a cockfighting uh, operation going on at your uh, at your at your house. <laughs> there are no roosters, only hens. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, listen, uh, we'll keep track of this thing, and I'm I'm hoping we can see. I mean, I, I told Senator Jones at the very least. I hope some of the nuances get dealt with, like how to deal with remote work, how to deal with annexations of new territory, how to. You know, even if they even if they don't get the dollar signs reduced on the occupational tax, at the very least, start dealing with these questions of why do certain people have to pay taxes when they don't even work inside the actual city limits? So those things have got to get dealt with as a matter of fairness, at the very least. I agree. And on the occupational tax issue, I think that what's being proposed is a very slow drawdown over 20 years. Yeah. We're not talking about ripping the Band-Aid off. Right. And weaning people off, we, and by people I mean municipalities, cities, states, weaning people off of un, 
you know, just kind of regressive taxes or, or taxes that don't really make sense for the people who are paying them is always a good thing. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Well, appreciate you. Thanks so much for your time again today. And uh, we'll catch up with you again sometime soon. All right. Okay. Thanks, Bill. All right. Stephanie Smith, president of the Alabama Policy Institute. Uh, somebody who comes on the show quite often and usually provides great commentary. So we'll, we'll take a break right now. We'll come back and switch gears. Time to go to number two in the Triple Dipper. Military readiness. Have you heard the latest about Space Command? I'll talk about it when we get back. Y'all stay tuned. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, hey, listen, I'm going to go into number two of the Triple Dipper. I will start off by just saying, um, the, you know, we're going to talk about military readiness. And um, we just had uh, two service members uh, pass away right here in the listening area. Um, you know, the, uh, the Tennessee National Guard uh, Black Hawk helicopter went down uh, just over Highway 53 uh, in harvest and, um, and really it just, you know, no explanation as yet that I'm aware of as to what uh, transpired. There were two crewmen on board, both pilots, um, and both were very, uh, uh, you know, uh, experienced pilots. And I believe they were both combat veterans. Uh, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Daniel Wadham, and uh, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Danny Randolph. Uh, so God bless their families, and um, we're certainly sorry that that's, that's happened. Um, but uh, they they apparently it was a a full impact. I mean, they they didn't they didn't have a chance to auto rotate or do anything coming down. They just they just went down hard, and uh, it, it says they both uh, died uh, in the actual crash itself. So anyway, uh, blessings upon the families. Uh, we are thankful for their service, and uh, so sorry this happened. Talking about um, military readiness overall, you might want to know th- this is interesting. So I'm going to spend some time sort of unpacking a variety of different things related to military readiness. Some of what I'm going to talk about deals with the force in general. Some of it talks about individual items. Some of it talks about benefits. Some of it talks about, you know, where our major command is going to be located. But military readiness. Here we are at a time when we're watching China have the gall to send a 200-foot-around balloon carrying an entire, you know, 1,000-pound payload uh, of, of intelligence gathering, uh, uh, you know, devices, just sailing across our major military installations. Don't think for a second, by the way, that's all that China's doing. I mean, I know, that I'm, I know who I'm talking to. I've got a great audience here. You guys keep up, I know. But China is, just, China is literally not just being a bad actor. They're an aggressor on the world stage right now. Things like, you know, building islands in the South China Sea. Oh, what, what difference does that make, Phil? Well, when you've got landmass, you project your, um, uh, your territorial waters from your, your, your landmass. Well, they build islands, and then they claim that it pushes out their territorial waters. So they're taking over parts of the South China Sea that have never been theirs. And they're, by the way, they're arming those islands. They're, they're almost like 
they're almost like little sand-based aircraft carriers. I mean, this is, it's crazy. And then you've got things that are happening uh, in other parts of the world where China appears to be stoking things or, or moving things or just playing that long game. And I, I got some information on that in a minute that I'll get into that I find very interesting about why China does the things it does. The, the, I will say this. China believes it's always at war. China doesn't believe in the concept of war just purely being a hot war. China sees war as being perpetual. And everything you do leads to the concept of war. So we're going to talk about that. Here's a story, though, that I find very interesting. It came out today on 1819news.com. So Senator Tommy Tuberville is promoting a bill banning transgender soldiers from serving, serving in the U.S. military. His quote is, our service members must be as capable and deployable as possible. So, yeah, story here on 1819 News. U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville co-sponsoring a bill prohibiting transgender people from those and those diagnosed with gender dysphoria from serving in the U.S. military. He's not saying you can't be gay. He's not saying you can't, um, uh, you know, have a lifestyle outside of the, uh, uh, the, the, the service time or, or duty hours uh, that is different. What he's saying, though, is we're, we're not going to be doing transgender surgeries on people in uniform. We're not going to be worrying about whether or not you get to shower with the opposite sex. We're not doing that. It's a, it's a, it's a morale killer. And so the uh, Ensuring Military Readiness Act, which was introduced by Senator Marco Rubio, is co-sponsored by Tuberville, Marsha Blackburn, uh, Mike Braun of Indiana, uh, Jim Banks of Indiana, um, uh, sorry, Jim Banks of Indiana is going to introduce a, a companion bill in the House. Uh, it, 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 it stands for the idea that we're going to wind up having a fighting force, a fighting force, not a social experimentation force. And, and there are some who right now say that the recruiting issues that we've had, and I'll go into it in more detail in a few minutes, but that the recruiting issues we've had have been in part because of all of the social experimentation and wokeness that we've been seeing perpetrated on the ranks. I had a, I had a guy that was going to call in today and talk about some issues with a family member who is leaving active duty because he's just sick and tired of being sick and tired of woke policies when he joined the military to be a warfighter. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you right now, if you tell a kid, tell, tell a kid, tell a kid, we will make you into a warrior. Tell him we will, we will, we will let you see the world. We will take you places you've never would have seen otherwise. We'll give you skills. And by the way, you can also Teach them how to be a dental hygienist in uniform or a paralegal in uniform or, for that matter, uh, an aviation technician or something else that's actually marketable outside of just the usual combat skills. But tell them you're going to make them into a more sensitive person and that they're going to help you to diversify the ranks <laughs> or that you're going to you know, teach them that someone who has two mommies is just as important as you. They have no desire to join for that. They don't. That's not a recruiting tool. So if you think for a second that the woke policies must be thrust upon those in uniform, I got news. 99.9% of those who serve in the military don't want that. They just want to learn how to be a warrior or to gain the skills or, for that matter, to serve their country. So we're going to talk about all that and a whole lot more, including the latest news on Space Command. Military readiness, number two in the Triple Dipper. You guys stay tuned. We will be right back.
You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Bill Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And yeah, like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, I'm in number two of the Triple Dipper, but it's hour number three. How'd that happen, Boomer? What? what? I've actually been taken back by it today. I'm like, wow, we're already in hour number three. <laughs> hour number three on Friday. It's Friday, by the way. Hey, do this. Go ahead and do the sound effect. Ooh, do the, do, do the sound effect. Here we yes. go. Friday. There it is. All right. Welcome. Welcome to the uh, last hour of your Friday for many of you. It's almost go home time. So uh, there's that. But number two of the Triple Dipper. Military readiness. And I know who this audience is, man. I got a whole bunch of green suitors out there at Redstone Arsenal. I've got uh, folks that listen at Anniston Army Depot. We got a ton of veterans in the audience and people who have served in a variety of capacities. And, and, and the defense industry is huge in our, in our listening area. We got a ton of civilian contractors who are part of what makes the military work, too. And we know it. And we appreciate you. I just got uh, told a little while ago, too, that we even have people that listen down at Fort Benning, Georgia. So love that. All right. Um, story on military readiness. You may be wondering, what in God's name has taken so long with getting a decision on Space Command? There's only one answer that could possibly be, and it's politics. For whatever reason, politics is still at play. Don't try and tell me it's not. Military.com has a story that came out yesterday. So, the latest is right now that a U.S. senator from uh, Michael Bennett, from Co- Democrat from Colorado, went to the floor of the Senate and gave an impassioned speech, it says. An impassioned speech Wednesday criticizing the decision to move Space Command headquarters to Huntsville, Alabama. A process which, by the way, has indeed been underway since Donald Trump was in office, right? The last year, I think it was, what, 2020? Uh, yeah, I believe it was when the decision was made. Um, so right now, uh, Space Command is currently at Peterson Space Force Base in Colorado Springs, but the, the, the official decision is supposed to be to move it to Huntsville to stay at Redstone Arsenal. It's, it's responsible for military operations, you know, all things related to space. It's, it's, um, it's just right now, it's just really weird that we're still sitting here these several years later. We have had multiple complaints by the Colorado congressional de- delegation. There have been demands that they have to go ahead and relook at everything, run the environmentals, give it a review as to whether or not there was some political work at play that got Huntsville selected. Well, how about this? How about Huntsville is a great location, which is what everything has found. There has yet to be um, a single report that says anything other than there does not appear to be anything wrong with it going to Huntsville. Now, the Government Accountability Office did say they felt like the process was rather unorganized, rather disjointed. Whatever. Is that a showstopper? Shouldn't be. But last month, this same guy, Bennett, apparently threatened to hold up nominees for the Pentagon's top positions because Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin had declined to meet with him yet about Space Command. Well, the final thing that had to happen was a new environmental study, which got done last late last fall, I believe. Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall says to give the ultimate approval. It still sits on his desk 
Meanwhile, the tears and angst from Colorado's delegation persist. And we're talking about not only is Space Command kind of a big deal in terms of bringing its flag here, it brings 1,400 jobs and millions of dollars in economic impact to whatever state has it. And right now it's supposed to be coming to Redstone Arsenal. Um, so let's, 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 just, let's just pay or get off the pot here, can we? Can we go ahead, please, and just say, you know what? Everything's done. Let's get her done. Colorado, we're sorry for your luck, but uh, guess what? It's going to be in Huntsville. All right. Um, I, I got a story here that I, I found fascinating. So there's a website called 1945.com that does a lot of defense-related uh, articles. So overall here, military readiness. I'm going to jump around to a variety of different topics. But the whole thing about the Chinese weather balloon, or not weather balloon, spy balloon, no, we don't. We don't know what the other three were. Although there is actually, by the way, a hobby group. I just saw a headline right before I came back on the air a little while ago. A, a balloon hobby group says, "Hey, we're missing our balloon over Alaska," and it's believed that that was a hobby balloon that was shot down. I, what it was doing? What does that mean, a hobby balloon? But anyway, the I think it's the Montana uh, Balloon Club lost their balloon, and it's so yeah. But we know that the first one. The big one, the thing that was the size of three Greyhound buses and toting a thousand pound payload with, you know, with satellite, uh, not satellite, but um, uh, solar arrays and antennas collecting data as it flew over the United States to include multiple military installations. We know that it was from China. They've admitted it. They're mad. We shoot out our balloon for because it was freaking flying over our military bases. That's why. Should have shot it down sooner. But here's the thing. This article from 1945, very interesting, written by a guy named James Holmes. I don't know what his background is, but it's, it's a pretty sharp article. He says that the, 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 the balloon may have gathered intelligence about military going-ons and things that are happening. He says, but that was a mere bonus. In his words, he says, if I'm right, Beijing's chief reason for floating that balloon over North America was really to see whether it would elicit a response from the U.S. government and the military as well as the American people. And he says this, and I find this fascinating. He says, China will use what it learned now about American psychology to sharpen its what it calls its three warfare strategy. He says, three warfares refers to China's all-consuming effort to constantly shape the political and strategic environments in its favor by deploying what it calls legal, media, and psychological means says it's a 24-7, 365-day-a-year endeavor. And, and it goes back to Mao Zedong, the Chinese Communist Party's founding chairman, who instructed his disciples that war is politics with bloodshed, and politics is war without bloodshed. So in the Maoist worldview, the article says, there is no peacetime. It's always war, all the time, for communism in China. If that's the case, then we're looking at this not being, you know, anything different. This is not just about intel gathering. This is about finding out how best we would respond and what China can expect from us if they do more. So when you poke the bear and all it does is growl, then you poke the bear twice to see if it'll swipe at you. Anyway, what we're looking at now is China, this article points out, has a three warfare strategy and this is part of it. Says the balloon sightings may fit into China's three warfare's offensive. Suppose you're Beijing and you want to design your strategies and tactics for deterring or coercing the United States, your major opponent. You need to find out how that opponent responds to external stimuli. So you test their reflexes. 
You do some zany things like sending over some kind of a lighter-than-air craft, towing a solar array or a, or a listening array and see what they do. So, yeah, that to me is fascinating. But that to me also rings true. Now, I got some articles here, and you know I'm going to have it, about wokeness in the U.S. military. Now, an article came out in National Review saying that recently the U.S. Army said that wokeness is not, not a primary driver of its current recruitment strategies. Well, (laughs) when you run commercials about Susie having two mommies and being able to follow her dream into the Army, what? How can you possibly say it's not playing a part? You're making it a part. When when you have an ad that runs that has a Marine Corps helmet and you have multicolored bullets in the shape of a rainbow flag in the band of the helmet, how can you not say you're making making wokeness a part of things? When you've got a U.S. Navy public affairs video that talks about gender pronouns and, and how best to identify with the people that you serve with in the fleet. Well, what is it you're saying when you say that wokeness is not playing a part? All right, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back from this break, I'll just tell you, I've got an article here that breaks it down, and they've got numbers. Why they believe that there's not a factor with wokeness, but when you run their own numbers, you find out just the opposite. And I ain't no rocket surgeon but I can add a little bit, and I'm going to tell you right now, a big chunk of people, according to their own survey, said wokeness matters. All right, you guys, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, Military Readiness, number two in the Triple Dipper. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Hey, listen, Just Love Coffee Cafe. Oh, yeah, I'm going there. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. Check them out. And here's the thing. I love doing this to you on a Friday afternoon. How about Saturday morning breakfast? Oh, yeah. You don't want to mess up the kitchen? No. You You don't want the usual biscuit? No. You want some better than usual coffee, not the kind you make in your little, uh, you know, coffee maker at the house. No, no. So you want maybe like the treat coffees that Charlene calls them, the cappuccinos, the lattes, the espressos. They've got them. They got them great. They've also got award-winning dry roast coffee, light, medium, and dark roast. But then they've got breakfast. Oh Lord, they've got breakfast. Like go get you a giant omelet. It's a giant omelet with eggs, sauces, cheddar cheese, onions, peppers, tomatoes, tater tots, all cooked in a waffle iron sprinkled with black pepper. They've got the bacon tater. It's a hash brown waffle, yeah, with cheddar cheese and bacon sprinkled with black pepper and served with a side of either sour cream or chocolate, your choice, or chocolate or ketchup, your choice. And then they got waffles. They've got eggs. They've got sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits. They've got breakfast burritos. Yeah, Just Love Coffee Cafe is where you might want to go on a nice, cool February Saturday morning. 
And when you do, tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. Hughes Road in Madison, South Parkway in Huntsville. Yes, sir. Just love Coffee Cafe. All right, uh, I'm back into number two of the Triple Dipper, military readiness. So I've got an article here. You know, we talk a lot about wokeness, and not all of my stuff's going to deal with things like that. But but you you can't you can't not be a conservative talk show guy and a veteran and not talk about some things that are bugging you like wokeness in the military. So I've got an article here. This one came out from National Review four days ago. Headline: Army says wokeness is not a primary driver of their recruitment woes. Okay, just to just to back you up here, if you hadn't already heard, the military was like the army itself was fifteen. No, excuse me, twenty five percent short of its recruiting goal. I mean, they did not make mission. 25% short. They had a goal to recruit 60,000. They were 25% short. So they were 15,000 short of their goal. Huh. Reckon what all got in the way? Well, could it be a COVID vaccine mandate? I would say so. Could it have been wokeness? I would say so. Well, to find out what's causing it, the Army conducted its own surveys over a period of four months. And here's the deal. They say... They conducted the surveys of people between ages 16 to 28. They found that only 5% said wokeness was a deterrent. Really? Only 5%. Now, I would go ahead and do the math on this. If they said only 5% said wokeness was a deterrent, well, maybe we go back and run the numbers. So you missed by 15,000, but you were trying to get 60,000. So 5% of that would be roughly 3,000 people. I'm looking at it saying that tells me that 20% of your shortage might have joined up if it wasn't for wokeness. That's got to play into your thinking. Now, I, I said I ain't no rocket surgeon, and somebody may get out of the calculator and go, Phil, your numbers are eight up. But that's what I'm getting when I run the math. If they're saying that they were trying to recruit 60,000 soldiers and that they had a, 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 a survey of their own that says that 5% said wokeness was an issue. Go ahead and run the math on it and then compare that to what they were short. They were short by 15,000. I can just go ahead and find you 3,000 more you might have had. Might have had. We'll never know. But your own survey says you literally had the opportunity there to recruit more, but you were so busy putting things in place that people don't want to be a part of. You know, things like getting soft around the edges and being more sensitive and critical race theory, and you're systemically racist. If you're part of this organization, don't you know how bad it is? Then why am I coming in here? Why do I want to join if you're saying to me it's, it's, a, it's a horrible place? Well, we need you to help soften up the edges and give us a more diverse uh, and equitable and inclusive environment. It's the Army. You don't get a chance to be diverse. Everybody's green. You all shave your heads. Everybody fights. It's the Marine Corps. Everybody's a rifleman. It's, it's you know... There's only one color in the service, and it's green. And there's only one true hairstyle, if you know what I'm saying. There's only one uniform. Uniformity and joining in and being a part of the big green machine is a big part of what it means. You don't get a chance to just go ahead and say, we've decided to make it more diverse and equitable. and inclu-. I know what they're trying to say. I get it. Phil, you're overgeneralizing. Oh, you think? I, I, would, I would dare say that thousands, thousands who could have joined chose not to because of those policies. Now, they went on to say there were other things. They said the top three reasons that young people didn't want to join the Army are, number one, fear of death. Really? 
fear of death, concerns about PTSD, and having to leave their friends and family. I would just go ahead and say right now, if that's the case, then I fear for our society. If you're telling me that culture has moved to the point that people don't want to join the army because they're scared, well, I, I got news. You join the army because you may go to hard places and do hard things that test you and give you something to think about for the rest of your life. And it can cause some, I can just tell you, I mean, I just for personal experience, I can tell you that there are times when you think back on it and, and, you, and you think hard. There's other times when you think back on it and you realize, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I was with people doing things that meant, meant something. And, and, you know, truthfully, a very small percentage of our society actually serves. But what they're saying here is they found the top three reasons. I find this to be both laughable and sad all at the same time. Fear of death, concerns about post-traumatic stress disorder, and leaving friends and family. Well, when you join the Army, you got to leave mommy. And when you join the Army, you might go somewhere scary. And when you join the Army, you, you, you might actually go somewhere where people are shooting. And if our entire culture is so averse to those things, then I have to go to my next article from Fox News, dated February 2nd, that says, headline, China is laughing as U.S. culture war erodes combat readiness, says a former defense secretary. So former acting defense secretary Chris Miller said that China must be laughing hysterically at the United States as senior Pentagon leaders keep getting caught up in culture wars and warned that that focus is hurting U.S. combat readiness. He says hardly anyone joins the military to be part of a culture war. They join the military because they want to serve their country and, if necessary, defend our country, not culture wars. He said his frustration is not with the rank and file, it's with the senior leaders. And I agree with that, by the way. These policies, they get set by the rank and file. And they often get set by the people who aren't in the uniform. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the political side. It's in, the, it's in the, the civilian side of leadership. The, the appointees, if you will. The ones who get confirmed as opposed to the ones who actually enlist. But folks, I'm just telling you, this article, it ain't off base. If you joined, you joined to be a part of a single entity, not to go and make your agenda known to the world. And we got to get out of this wokeness. All right, we'll come right back. I'll talk about a few other things related to military readiness. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right
And we're back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. I'm talking about we cover down on some ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama, going way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and even Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. Got some great text going on right now about the uh, the concepts of uh, wokeism in the military and what it's taken to, to get us back to a, um, a full-strength fighting force. Uh, Glenn from Bluntsville just texted in and says, I never thought about possibly dying when I joined the military at 18 years old. I guess I wasn't raised to be a pansy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, what else do we have here? Um, yeah, Pete from Decatur. He says, this rider and rougher than a man has a right to be. Uh, I like it. I may make that T-shirt out of that one. Brian from Huntsville just says, hua. Um, uh, hua back to you, man. Uh, let me go to the phone. Is that Lee from Huntsville? Lee, how are you doing today? Hello. Hey, Lee, how are you? I'm good. Um, I wanted to uh, just say something about the China, China, Chinese influence and on our military and, and about readiness in All general. Right. Yeah, go ahead. So, well, you know, the Chinese think very long-term. They think in terms of, like, centuries, not, you know, 10, 15, 20 years like we do. Right. Um, and they, you know, they have a long memory. And they have a long foresight. So they, through a lot of means, not the least of which is their social media, like TikTok, et cetera, but in a lot of ways, how they influence our universities with their students and their their Chinese um, uh, partnerships there and things like that, they sow distrust. They sow problems. They see how, you know, if you look at the rules for radicals, one of the main things you have to do is divide a society. And if you look back at, like, the Russian Revolution, it was the different, uh, you know, the poor versus the rich. Here, are, are, you know, like, here you don't have that quite as much because there's mobility like there wasn't there. You know, you couldn't really move from one category to the other. Um, but here you have, they sow mistrust within different racial groups, ethnic groups, uh, you know, different, almost regional groups, et cetera. And they like to sow this mistrust. They like to sow this othering of other people. And they're 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 subtly influencing us because the way you get a society to fall is from within that's mm. as strong as ours, not from without. And they know, I can't remember who it was that said they couldn't attack America because behind every blade of grass was someone with a gun. <laughs> I know it was a Chinese person, but um, they... They know that we're armed, so they know that they have to defeat us from within. And if you, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but someone had um, transcribed a, a meeting notes from the Chinese that said where they had discussed how they would divide up the United States. And this is not from a long time ago. This is from like within the last five years on how they would divide up the U.S. And best to use it. They're not going to attack us in like a nuclear way because they don't want to destroy the land. See, China can't feed itself. China has too many people with not enough available land. If anybody knows anything about China, they all live in this one, like a third of the country. And two-thirds of this massive country is not really usable. And a large portion of it is desert. So they can't feed their people. They need food, so they have to buy it from other places. And they look long-term to think, what could we do with this country? Who We're, we're absolute bounty of what – we have very little desert. We have – so much farmland. I know I'm going on, but I'm just saying they they want what we have. Oh, they and do. if we don't stop 
30, 40, 50 years from now, we could be looking at being taken over by other countries. I do not disagree with the word you just said. You know, some of the things that we're seeing right now out of China, like, for instance, uh, energy production, they're, they're, they're building coal-fired uh, power plants left and right right now. We're shutting ours down and then importing uh, oil from other countries. And it's, it's just, it boggles the mind. I don't understand the short-sightedness of, uh, of a U.S. leadership in this regard. Um, and, and, and while I don't have you don't a... Think uh, oh, I, no, I, I, I do. I, I don't understand. You, I don't understand why they're making the nobody. decision, but I, but I, but I certainly see where it's going, and I see what China's gaining from it. Absolutely, um, it's just you're right. They play the long game. They even call it the long game. Um, but right. wow. Well, Lee, as always, great call. Thanks so much for your your time. Appreciate you. All right. Wow. It's, it's, she's 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 usually on the money. Uh, she's right, by the way. China is playing the long game. They they see what we've got. They want what we've got. They can't destroy it because uh, they know they, they can't use it. They've got, they don't want to break it. They want to break us down so they can step in and take over. Um, and we have to be uh, aware of that. Hey, back on true on, uh, on military readiness. Uh, Military.com, again, has a story that came out uh, January 20th that despite the fact that they didn't make recruiting mission over the last year, the Army thinks it may be getting back on track, and that's, that's good news. Uh, the Army, it says, might be, might be the key word here, might be on track to meet its recruiting goals this year. Uh, since the start of the new fiscal year, which began in October, the, re- the Army has now recruited 18,500 new soldiers. That's 13,000 more in the pipeline. And if they can keep that kind of goal, uh, that kind of uh, effort up, they believe that they'll hit the marks for this year. And that's, that's an encouragement. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I would also point out the vaccine mandate has now gone away. Uh, the, uh, the, there's been a little time for some of us and not enough, uh, but there's been a little time since the Afghanistan debacle. And there's been sort of a, um, a pushing back against wokeness that I think is, is helping. Um, but the Army's goal this year is to bring in 65,000 new soldiers after they fell 15,000 short last year. And if it keeps up, the Army says that it may actually exceed that goal um, if things can, and, that, and that's good because what I understand is the first quarter of the fiscal year is usually the hardest to recruit because it's in the middle of, you know, holiday seasons and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, yay. But they do say that they've also put some impediments in their own way, which is interesting to me. So they started a new thing called the Military Health System uh, Genesis Program, which gives them the ability to look back into people's medical records in great detail. Whereas before they could say, all right. Uh, if you broke your foot as a kid, don't tell us. Now they can't avoid it. Now they now they now they've got injuries from you know 20 years ago. They have to explain and get waivers, and then you know dealing with anyway. The bottom line is what we're looking at is recruiting. At least is doing better. Here's a story that I printed out just because it creeps me out. Boomer, have you seen? Some of the videos they're coming up with with artificial intelligence, yes, and with not only air drones but with like land-based drones, like robots, like dog-shaped robots. Oh, dog-shaped robots, and then the robots without heads. Yes. Why do they make it without heads? I don't know. That still bugs me. It's just like, like this little. I don't know. Yeah, put a head on the thing and make it smile, please. Yes. All right, but <laughs> make it smile. Make it smile. <laughs> just it should. It should look at you and, and, and appear friendly right before it just blasts you with the... Uh, <laughs> 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 so uh, DARPA, um, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, uh, just recently successfully um, 
flew an F-16 with using artificial intelligence. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, we're to the point where you, you want to say, and then Skynet became self-aware. <laughs> yeah. And, and took, and the next thing you know, we're fighting the machines and we're having to read the matrix. Um, but yeah, it says that, uh, DARPA's air combat evolution program, which aims to advance the Pentagon's autonomous systems capabilities, uh, using robotic wingmen, they call it, and other drones successfully controlled an F-16 fighter jet during initial round of tests in California. Um, story that came out in the last couple of days. Uh, you're not hearing much about this in other places, but it says we conducted multiple sorties with numerous test points performed on each sortie to test the algorithms under varying starting conditions, simulated adversaries, and simulated weapons capabilities. It goes on to say, too, the agency did have a human pilot on board in case anything had gone wrong. I would not have want to been that pilot. Can you imagine being that pilot? Uh, you're okay. Uh, releasing stick, giving way to AI, and then sit back and go, oh, God, while the computer flies your F-16 at, at, at Mach something. All right, that's happening. They're doing it. We got a caller on the line? No? Uh, no, sir. All right. Um, okay. Now, I'm an old-school Army guy, right? I just retired in 2017, uh, including my Guard and Reserve time, but just just – I joined back when we wore black boots and had to put Kiwi on the boots, right? I joined back when the, when the PT test, you, you, sometimes you ran it in boots. Thank you very much. Uh, when the ruck marches were legit. And, and, you know, ask anybody that ever went to ranger school when they went, and they'll tell you back when it was hard. So there's that. I get it. I get it. Everybody thinks they went back when it was harder. But I look at some things that are happening now. And so the Army PT test, there was never a question. We had females in the Army, and they had their own standards, but they still had to do the same PT test. We had a PT test, which, by the way, there are aspects of it that I didn't like. Uh, you know, having to clasp your hands behind your neck to pull your neck up uh, and, and do sit-ups was one of my least favorite things in the history of the world, and maybe partly how I herniated the discs in my neck. But you just did the stuff, right? Army PT test. Push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile run. Push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile, push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile run. Just do it. And oh, by the way, you didn't have to, like, have a half a day just to set up for the PT test. You know, all you had to place it to run. We had to have a track or a, or a there-and-back type running course, and you had to have a stopwatch. And you had to throw down a mat on the ground, if you were lucky, to do your, you know, your, your sit-ups on. Somebody had to hold your feet. That's about as far as it went. Now they've got the ACFT, the new Army um, Combat Fitness Test. This thing has been the most embattled, overthought thing I have ever seen. And it's not even truly implemented yet, and they're already making changes again. Like, again. Like it was about to be released, and then Congress got hold of it. So, well, we think that's unfair to, to women. Really? So now we don't. Now you have to do planks. You don't even do. Come on. Well, story here on military.com again. More changes brewing for the Army fitness test. Changes are coming to the Army combat fitness test as the service looks to comply with a law mandating that it create a gender-neutral assessment by June. A continuation of the struggle over the test that was finally rolled out in October, following years of delay. Could you have anything more overthought than this? 
just go back to doing push-ups, sit-ups, and a two-mile run and call it done. Because right now, they're having to set up kettlebells and deadlifts and shuttle runs courses and God knows what else. I don't even remember what all. Sergeant Major Michael Grinston, the Sergeant Major of the Army, during an event hosted by the AUSA, said the service is now weighing whether to use a new general neutral version of the ACFT with higher standards for combat armed soldiers or then repurpose physical tests currently required for other badging. I'm just telling you, folks, they are so overthinking this. They just, just, just freaking get back to making sure they have a modicum of fitness doing push-ups, sit-ups. If you want to go one step further, add in the Marine Corps version of doing pull-ups and a two- or three-mile run and collar done. Do some people do well? Yep. Do some people do poorly? Yep. Does it seem to match up to everything we have to do in terms of functional fitness? No. At the same time, you could get it done and get back to training. All right, Boomer, take me to a break, brother. I ran that one a tad long. We'll come right back, wrap up the day, because it's Friday, and you guys are heading to the house. Let me say this before we go. Greatest military in the face of the earth. I may get irritated, but I am proud to serve, and I'm proud of all y'all who did too. All right, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. That was it, Boomer. That was the bump. That was the one. He asked me, which one of the Black Crow songs is the one? And we, we nailed it. That was it. I love that one. That was, and that was, uh, that's Remedy? Yeah. Remedy by Black Crows? Off of a yeah. Shake Your Money Maker album, I believe, mm-hmm. back in the 90s. Um, a good one. Yeah, Black Crows at their height were just rocking. All right. Um, hey, l- I tell you what. Let me. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta pause here and and give you guys the scoop again. ZLA Solutions. They've been sponsoring this show since the day we went on the air. Uh, they are in the middle of a major hiring thing right now, where they are they are recruiting for high tech white collar jobs at Redstone Arsenal at a brand new facility that shall remain unnamed for right now. But these are the kind of jobs that are just. Oh man, when they come up, you gotta grab them. And so ZLA has already been recruiting for these. Uh, they're, they're, they're running new ads in the area off of Right Side Radio for this purpose. Let me just tell you, ZLA Solutions is kicking. When it comes to being the company that puts jobs and people together, I don't know that anybody's doing a better uh, job at that than they are. And they, they can do it for temp or direct hire, blue collar, white collar, no collar, don't matter. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing, all of it. So if you're an employer looking to fill out the ranks of your workforce, whether it be onesies and twosies, or a whole shift of people, you can go to ZLA Solutions at their website, ZLAUSA.com. That's ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. Start that relationship with them. They will work with you to do what they call making your business better. That's their goal in life, help you make your business better. 
So yeah, check them out. ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. And tell them you heard about it on the Right Side Radio. I would appreciate it. Uh, got a bunch of stuff going on the text line, so I'll just jump over there and grab some of those while we have some time. Um, where did it go? The one I just saw. Ike from Somerville says, back in the days of the Black Boot Army, and how about the days when the PT test had the bars as one of the events? Yeah, man, that's old school right there. <laughs> but yeah, the Black Boot Army, how many times do you have to rub Kiwi on your boots and get a spit shine before you went out there for inspection? There's an entire generation right now that doesn't even know how to shine a boot. I mean, they can still fight, but dang. There was something about having to shine those boots and just smelling the kiwi in the barracks. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Danny from Decatur, uh, what's he got here? California used to have a law that if you're always oh, talking about the occupational taxes and stuff like that. He says, California used to have a law that if you retired in California, you still had to pay the state income tax no matter where you lived. Wow. He said, there was a story of a man retired, moved to New York, and then got a bill from California based on his federal tax returns. His wife had never even been in California. Uh, listen, that I don't, I do not doubt it, Danny. And, uh, in fact, there's, um, there's a move right now in the California state legislature to pass what they call an exit tax. They're losing so many people. They're talking about sending people a tax bill on the way out of the state for taking their income elsewhere. I don't know how they're going to constitutionally make that work, but they're trying. Uh, Jim from Madison says, maybe AI will overcome the Pentagon's natural stupidity. I don't, I don't know. But I don't know if I want AI running the Pentagon. I'm just saying. As flawed as some of the, the leadership has been in recent years, I don't know that I want AI taking care of it. Um, John from Huntsville is pointing out that I didn't get, an, I didn't get a complete triple dipper, Boomer, so I got a, I got a B plus for the day. <laughs> You're going to start grading me on content, John. It's content, brother. You, you want you want quality, you want quantity. I mean, so I, anyway, all right. I, oh, I'll, I'll have to get it. Brian from Huntsville says, I want our, our, our sink to pass one. Yeah, the commander-in-chief to pass a PT test. Mm, ain't going to happen. Then again, he's not supposed to. But anyway, you know, you just, anyway, whatever. Um, Brad from Limestone County, with regards to the AI, he says, Skynet is self-aware. The U.S. president is not. <laughs> That's from Brad over in Limestone County. Sama, our truck driver, he says, maybe we need Starship Trooper type of civilization. You don't vote if you don't serve. No wokeness there. Nice. That was, uh, that was an interesting. If you've never read the book Starship Troopers, it did not match the movie at all. I think we talked about that on the show once before. <laughs> uh, I'm not a science fiction fan, but a friend of mine one day said, you got to read this book. What is it? Starship Troopers. I don't know. No, man, you got to read it. It's about paratroopers in the future and stuff like that. Oh, really? So I read it. It was fascinating. And it did have that whole thing in there about you don't vote if you don't serve in the military. Um, but then the movie came out, and it was like Beverly Hills 90210 fights bugs in outer space. It was, it was weird. <laughs> All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Boomer and I back here tomorrow, excuse me, Monday at 2. Y'all have an amazing weekend, and we will see you then.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.